As you are seated, if you would take your Bibles and turn in them to Mark chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We have Bibles for you in the back. My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to tell you a story. There was a village that had no access to the gospel. Eventually, they heard of Jesus and believed. Some translators were there. First, they had to translate their language and put it into written word, which it wasn't at that point. After they put their language into written word, then they started translating the Bible. It was a many-year process. But after several years, it was finally completed, the translation. The village was remote, and there were no roads or any access to it except by river. And one day, the day arrived. The boats were filled with the translations of the Bible. As those boats went up the river, the tribe's people lined the river, and they began chanting and shouting. Here comes the word of the Lord. 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 Mark chapter 12, verses 38 following. And in his teaching, as Jesus said, Beware the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Lord It's a familiar story to many of us who have grown up in church, the widow's might. And for those of us who are familiar with the story, we all know the point, right? And the point is simply this, that God sees your heart, and that's what really counts. People say it as if it's a comfort. I wonder, is that comforting to you this morning? God sees your heart. And that's what really counts. I'm not sure it's so comforting. As I studied this text this week and as I think about that, it's a little disquieting. But would we expect anything less if we're dealing with a real God? 
Well, let's pray to him. God, you disquiet us with your love. And you undo us by your grace. With that same grace, rebuild us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I recently joined a new extracurricular community in Santa Barbara, and in joining, I always have the unfortunate or kind of terrifying experience of having to eventually say what I do. And people ask me what I do, and, you know, I say, I, I, well, it's, you know, I'm very bold. I say, I work for a nonprofit. <laughs> Not really. But when I say that I'm a pastor, uh, I, I, I don't like that experience. It's kind of painful. Not because I actually am ashamed of what I do or I care in that way, but because whenever I do that, it's like a line in the sand is drawn. People treat me differently, and they feel like they have to respond directly to what I have just said, right? The most common response that I get is, um, oh, well, I'm not religious. <laughs> okay, I didn't ask. Uh, but that's the most common response I get. And, you know, people say that for a variety of reasons. I think from the innocuous to the hostile. Some people, what they mean is, I'm not religious. In traditional moral values, institutional structure, and religion, I'm just not into that. It's not my thing, quote unquote. For other people, they see religion as actually the mother of all evils. War. Violence. Abuse, misogyny, genocide, extortion. And I have to be honest, they have a point. And religion has been something that has fostered all of those things. Of course, to be fair, atheistic systems have also fostered all of those things, like you know, the French Revolution and communism. But let's be honest, those things have flourished in religious institutions and through them. But the thing that I think these folks find surprising is that when I say after that, did you know that throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testament, you will find one of the most sustained critiques against religion and the religious? Uh, nothing in all uh, the world, to my mind, no piece of literature actually warns of the dangers of religion quite like the Bible. And Jesus, he's no exception. Jesus was actually very hard on the religious, the hardest on the religious. Enter Q, Mark 12, verse 38. Beware of the scribes. The scribes were the religious leaders of the day. They were the Bible experts. They were the people who, who taught the Bible and stood in front of people, you know, every weekday on the Sabbath, and they taught the Bible, and, and, they, uh, and they went, and they got degrees, like highfalutin degrees in order to do this. And they were the Bible study leaders. And Jesus says, you should be a little skeptical about these people. Beware. Beware of the Bible study leaders, beware of the pastors, beware of the ministers and the priests, beware, watch out, be on guard. You know, I was writing this sermon this week and I was like, I think this is going to put me out of a job. 
But at least Jesus goes on. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. At least I don't wear a robe. (laughs) Except at weddings. And I kind of wish I wore a robe. (laughs) Except for the fact that they're hot, so I wish I wore a collar. Except for the fact that, like, they make those really boxy shirts and they're awful. But something, at least, to show that when I give an assurance of pardon or administer the sacraments or give a benediction, I'm not doing so in my own authority, that I'm actually doing so representing Christ. And you're not receiving that word from me. You're receiving it from Him. So I kind of think I should be wearing a robe. Some of you might be surprised about that. Or a collar. Well, anyway, Jesus says... Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long rows. Beware of the religious who like to look religious. You know, there are various ways that you can like to look religious. I recently received this email from our denomination advertising a white polo shirt with the denomination's logo on it, uh, which is hideous. I'm going to be honest. It's hideous. But the tagline said, goes perfect with your blue blazer. So I suppose, you know, if you want to look religious like a pastor type in our denomination, you wear a blue blazer. Joshua, earlier this summer at an ordination service, was sporting his PCA certified blue blazer. And as he came uh, to worship that morning, his little two-year-old Jasper came out and said, Daddy, why are you dressed like the nutcracker? So I guess the moral is, if you want to look religious in our denomination, you need to dress like the nutcracker. There are lots of ways to look religious. There's witness wear. This blood's for you. There's bracelets. There are the carefully planted huge Bibles that we place around our houses or the backseat of our car. You know, if you're in the South, excuse me, officer, I have to get my license. It's in the back with my Bible. That doesn't work here. I found that out. (laughs) Uh, There's, if you're really cool, you know, you don't do that stuff. You get a tattoo. If you're really cool, you get a tattoo in Greek or Hebrew. But make sure that you actually talk to someone who knows Greek or Hebrew before you get that thing. Because the accent marks are often way off. There are lots of ways to look religious. Beware of the religious who like to look religious. Beware of the religious who like to act religious. Verse 40. For pretense they make long prayers. But beware of the religious who put on airs when they pray, who who summon all the religious jargon they can in the Christianese. Beware of the religious who say, I just really want to, when they usually don't say, I just really want to. Beware of the religious who always like to make hints about the spiritual activities that they're doing and work it into conversation. Beware of the religious who only read Christian books and watch Christian movies and drink Christian coffee and eat Christian fast food. And even then, if they get the Proverbs 3.5 on the bottom of their cup, they take that back because that's not gospel enough. Give me John 3.16. Beware of the religious who like to make a point of looking and acting religious, whose only 
problem is that their private devotions are not quite as long as they would like them to be. Beware of the religious. Jesus is pretty hard on the religious. Why? What's the problem? What is Jesus' problem with the religious? Well, it's worth noting that Jesus' problem with the religious is actually not a problem with the religious. You see, today it's very common to say, I am spiritual but not religious, right? And what most people mean by that is that they are not into rules and rituals and dogma and pastors and priests and institutions and structures. Even Christians today, a lot of Christians are spiritual but not religious. In other words, they think that they can have a relationship with Jesus without it being mediated through the church in any way, shape, or form. That the church is kind of indifferent, a side issue. But Jesus, it's worth noting, was a Jew. Who the Bible tells us went to the synagogue every Sunday who kept the Jewish church calendar, who went to the Jewish feast, who also said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, who promised to build a church, a church which had institutional leaders and institutional boundary markers like baptism and church discipline. And Jesus, he also, he instituted a ritual meal. So, if you're looking for someone to join you in the fight against institutionalized, an institutionalized relationship with God, Jesus is not your guy, right? He, he actually believed in institutional religion. That's not his problem. So what is his problem? I mean, what is his problem? Because uh, what's his problem with robes and, and prayers? I mean, isn't... Weren't robes actually commanded to be worn by the priest? And, and putting Bible verses up places. Wasn't that actually commanded? Phylacteries? That, that Jewish people were to, to have those on their doorpost and on the, the, their foreheads? What's the problem? Well, it's not any of those things per se. His problem is with what motivates a lot of religious activity. Look at verses 38 and 39 again. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts. Beware of the scribes who like to be the relig- and the religious who like to be seen looking religious. Beware of the religious who... It's not so much what they do, but why they do the things they do. And they do the things they do to be seen, to be honored, to be praised. There's this story that comes after this that illustrates the point in verses 41 and 42. Jesus is in the temple and people are bringing their offerings. And the the contrast between the rich religious leaders and this widow comes across way stronger in, in the original text. It, it, it's as if when this widow comes, she comes and she simply came and put her offering in. Very simply, very discreetly. But the rich, when they come, the text emphasizes that they took their time. 
They lollygagged. I've been going to the pool a lot this summer because I'm a parent and I have a six-year-old. And it's amazing to look around the pool and just listen to kids. If you watch kids around the pool, uh, this is what a lot of it looks like. I can boil down their conversations. Like, watch me. Watch me. Look at me. Look at me. Hey, 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 look at me. Look at me. Look at me. No, look at me. No, look at me. Look at me. And, and I watch these kids, and I watch them say, look at me. Watch, watch me do this jump off the diving board, and watch me do this dive, and watch me swim this way. No, watch me do this. And I watch them, and I think, we're not so different. Look at me. I'll just be honest. This is very difficult for me because the reality is, is that I am way more motivated to put time into sermon prep than I am to spend an hour in prayer for the congregation. Because the reality is, is you see this and you don't see the other. Look at me. That's how I say it. How do you say it? See, if you want to know, maybe you can ask the question, does my service change when I'm not being watched, when it's not being recognized? Does my giving to God and my service to others, does it change if it's not, if it's not applauded in some way? Am I more apt to do things that are public than things that are private? And when I don't feel like it's getting the attention that it deserves, do I stop or pull back? Look at me. When it doesn't pay off, when, verse 39, your service doesn't get you the proverbial best seat in the synagogue or the places of honor at the feast, do you stop? I'm going to be honest, I do this thing, it's happened every once in a while. I know you don't do it, but I'm just going to be honest with you. So I'll be hard at work at something. And it might not be church, it might be something else. Like, usually it's like, I'm hard at work on a house project, and I know someone's coming over, and I finish the house project, but I'm so ridiculous that I will lollygag on the house project to the end so that when the people show up, they see me working, Right? <laughs> I'll figure out something to do to make it take just a little bit longer so they can know that, like, oh, he's hustling at home, right? Now, I know none of you do that, but I am like these guys. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Look at me. But the gospel, it gives us a different paradigm for service because what the gospel says is that God comes and he gives to us, that he looks at us, that he sees us before we do anything, before we give anything. That he loves us. That you have been given everything. And that you have been given a relationship with him that is rock solid and you actually obey and serve out of that, not in order to get or to receive attention. The gospel tells you that God comes to you like he came to Abraham out of nowhere and said, I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will protect you and I will fight for you and I will give you an inheritance, a land, before you've done anything. Now go and live in that. 
But we say, no, God, I'm going to do these things. Are you going to give me? Are you going to give me? Are you going to give me? It's the motivation of the service that Jesus critiques, but it's not just the motivation of the service. His other problem is that this selfishly motivated service has oppressive outcomes. Did you notice that in the middle of talking about these these what would seem to be admirable religious qualities, these things that they do, these religious activities, he throws in there, verse 40, who devour widows' houses. Now, what's the connection here? Well, I think the connection is this. You know, if you're doing, if, if your service is motivated by being seen and getting applause, widows were some of the most vulnerable people in that society. And I think that if you had gone out of your way to help a widow, I don't think that would have gotten you the best seat in the synagogue because they couldn't give you the best seat in the synagogue. They were powerless. I don't think that would have given you a place of honor because they couldn't give you a place of honor, you see. When your religious service is motivated by what you get in return and applause, that what ends up happening is that the marginal get left in the dust. But I think it could be more than that. I think it could also be not simply that they wouldn't receive name recognition, but also that when religious activity is motivated by reputation, systems become erected and instantiated that abuse weak members. And those systems can't be challenged because people are afraid of their reputation. And we don't have to look too far in the news to see that that's happened all around. I'll give one very public example because it's public and they've made a public statement about it. Those at Willow Creek have talked about the fact that they failed to listen to accusations of abuse in order to protect reputations and the reputation of a ministry and to further that. They admitted that. There's a public confession online that you can go hear. And it's very easy. When we are motivated by our own reputation, we hide corruption. And the vulnerable are left in the dust. Jesus is upset because of their motivations, and he's upset because of the outcome that those motivations bring. But Jesus' problem is also, note, with the value of their gifts. After the widow brings her offering, and Jesus pulls his disciples aside and points this out to her, he notes, verse 43, that this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Jesus is saying that this widow's offering is actually worth more combined than all of their offerings together. That their offerings are actually paltry in comparison. Now why did he find their offerings so paltry? Well, the text tells us, verse 44... For they all contributed out of their abundance. 
out of their margin. They gave out of what was left at the end of the month. They gave the portion of the meal that they couldn't finish at the restaurant. They gave that which cost them nothing, and that which cost them nothing was worth nothing. You see, they gave, and their giving was not sacrificial. And that's why Jesus finds that their gifts are not valuable. What about ours? Does our giving and our service cost us anything? For some of you, it has. For some of you, it has cost you a lot. There are lifestyle changes that you have made. Uh, for some of you, there are, there are family uh, rhythms that you have changed that are highly inconvenient for the sake of the gospel. But for others of us, we need to ask the question, is my life different because of service to Christ? And if not, is it different than these scribes? I mean, we tend to like this, don't we, when Jesus goes after the religious and we say, get them, Jesus, stick them to them. But, you know, here's the thing. Jesus is, Jesus is critiquing the religious because of how they give. But that means something. They're actually giving, which is more than lots of American Christians can say. The reality is, is that 20% of all U.S. Christians give away nothing. And U.S. Christians, on average, give away 2.9% of their income, but that includes very generous givers. And that 72% only uh, give away less than 2% of their income. And that's the most wealthy country in the world that's ever existed. And so Jesus is upset with them, but they're giving. And we tend to think we're not like them, but are we like her? What makes this widow's gift so remarkable, so commendable? We think maybe it's because it goes unnoticed. I mean, Jesus does say give, and don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. But that can't be it, because Jesus actually draws attention to it. He says, come here, disciples, look at this widow. So it can be that it goes unnoticed. Well, maybe we think, well, because it's so small. It's hard for us to recognize how small uh, this woman's contribution was. In verse 44, or 42, rather, it says that she gave away two small copper coins, which make a penny. Now, they didn't have pennies in that day. That's the translators trying to help you out. But a penny doesn't really get at it either. Because if you have a penny, you could put a penny in your hand, and you could blow, and that penny would stay there. But, you know, up until recently, most currency, it was based on the value of the metal and the weight of the metal. If you were to place two of these quadrants, which is what she has, in your hand, and you were to blow, they would have blown off like a leaf. That's how small, that's how small her gift was. And yet she gave it. She gave it. You know, she gave it discreetly. And I think that one reason she didn't want people to look at her is because could you imagine what they would have thought? I mean, when all those kids are at the pool and they're saying, look at me, look at me, look at me go off the diving board. And then 
um, I, trying to be a good parent, have to participate. And Neve's like, come on, Daddy, let's go off the diving board. And I get to the diving board, and she's like, do a trick. I'm like, look away, look away. No one look at me because my contribution is not very good, all right? Look away because this is about to be a belly flop. I mean, you don't want people to see that. In fact, most of the time I'm like, oh, daddy can't go off the diving board right now. He, you know, he ate three hours ago. It's unsafe. And you could have seen her saying, well, it's not that big and it doesn't contribute much, so I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to actually walk up because that could be embarrassing. They could see. Could you think of the, the mockery and the snickers, the tongues and the cheeks? And yet she does it anyway. And Jesus commends her for giving such a small gift. And what's the lesson? Well, it seems like we know the lesson. Commentators and uh, preachers and Christians alike, we, we know the lesson. The, the lesson is that it's not the number of coins, but the heart that counts. It doesn't matter how much you give, but your intent and your heart in giving, right? I mean, look at the widow's might. She didn't give very much. It doesn't matter how much you give. But is that right? Did she not give very much? Look at verse 44. Let's consider how much she gave. Verse 44 says she gave out of her poverty. That she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Or more literally, as much as she had her whole life. She cast in. She gave everything. It's not that her gift was so small, it was so great. She gave everything. Her whole life, she cast in. The story of the widow does not teach us to give a little and think that God is okay with it. The story of the widow teaches us to give everything and to know that we will be okay because God takes care of us, because God sees us, because God has a future for us, because God loves us. That's the story of the widow. See, the widow's giving was commendable, I believe, because it sprang from faith. It sprang from a resolute trust in God. See, she was clinging to and resting in and relying upon God. That's Luther's definition of faith. She was clinging to and resting in and relying upon God, and that enabled her to give without concern for her reputation and without concern for her future because she knew that God had her reputation and God had her future. And that's why she gave, and that's why she gave it all. And that's what counts. See, here's the question. Does your service, does your giving, does your religious activity, does it evidence a life that clings to and rests in and relies upon God and the gospel? Does it evidence that you know that you are loved beyond a shadow of a doubt? And that your Father in heaven has plans for you 
and will take care of you? Does it evidence that that your happiness and your comfort and your reputation are in his hands because he has said, I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will protect you and I will give you an inheritance. So yes, God isn't concerned with the breadth of our giving, but he is concerned with the depth of our giving. And he is concerned that our giving reflects the fact that you trust in him over money. And a heart that is focused on the sacrifice of God in Jesus Christ will sacrificially give to God in Jesus Christ. Which actually brings us to what I think is the most remarkable thing about her gift. Her service. And that's that it points to another's. As much as she had, her whole life she cast in. Does that sound familiar? As much as he had. Everything. The ruler of the cosmos. The one who is rich beyond all splendor. The one who knew neither vicissitude, nor suffering, nor sin, nor misery, nor pain, nor broken relationships, he entered into the sin and misery of our broken world. And as much as he had, all of it, he cast in for you and for me. God does see your heart. And he sees my heart. He sees our lack of trust. He sees those dark places that we, that we hide from others and even ourselves. He sees our mixed motives. And yet while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. As much as he had his whole life, he cast in. Do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? That though he was rich, he became poor? So that through his poverty, you might become rich? Well, if you do, like this widow, live and serve out of that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.